Welcome to 5 Minutes of Courage with Maggie Arndt. This podcast focuses on God's Word, the Bible, and how much God loves you. Our goal is to show you throughout Scripture how loved and valued you are by the God of the universe. 5 Minutes is all you need to be filled with hope, joy, purpose, and yes, courage. Now here's your host, Maggie Arndt. Hey everybody, welcome back to 5 Minutes of Courage with me, Maggie. Thank you for hanging with me the last two weeks when I had a broken laptop, when I left town, and it seems like everything came to a bit of a a screeching halt, but I promise not one of you has been dropped from my list. Remember, if you are ever curious what has been most recently released, go to www.com. Five, that's the number five, not the word, five minutes of courage, no spaces.com, www.fiveminutesofcourage.com, and the newest podcast devotion video. Well, it actually won't be in video form, it's only audio, will be there. That's where you can always find me. So today, to catch everyone up, we are in John chapter 12. Now, here's something that's very interesting. As we in America are approaching Holy Week, this past Sunday was Palm Sunday, which is the kickoff to Holy Week. Um, We are approaching Palm Sunday, which will be tomorrow in our devotion time together in our study on Wednesday. However, it's important to know that even though the rest of the world will be celebrating Easter this Sunday, almost one half of John's gospel is given to this last week. So we're going to be deep diving, very intricately picking apart this last week of Jesus's life before he is hung on the cross, before he's crucified, died, and is buried. Interestingly enough, the gospel of Matthew spends 33% of his gospel covering that week. Mark spends nearly 40% and Luke over 25% to act to the actual seven last days of Jesus's life. So buckle up. We've got a lot to pick apart together. But today we find ourselves in John chapter 12. It's six days before the Passover celebration. And even though it's a bit of a surprise to everyone else in Jesus's life, this is the last week he will be alive with them as they know him. Jesus knows He's got a lot on his mind. And considering his fate that he knows of as he's coming to Jerusalem for Passover, it's frankly remarkable that he is attending a dinner. Most people wouldn't feel like socializing. Me personally, I would have an enormous stomach ache. There is not a chance that I would be able to put on my best face and go to the house of Simon the leper for dinner. Now, why we call him Simon the leper, I'm not really sure. That doesn't seem like a nice thing to say. But Here's an interesting tidbit. It may be true. We're not 100%, but let's speculate. Theologians speculate that Martha might have been the wife of Simon the leper. And the reason that theologians think this is because Martha is definitely the hostess of this dinner. So if you remember from late last week, Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. He was resuscitated. He was not resurrected. Big distinction. And I made that pretty clear last week. If you don't know the distinction, go back and listen because they are not the same. Lazarus will again die, but they are there celebrating with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and Simon the leper, and maybe some other people 
Um, and Martha is clearly in charge. She is there serving with the, the other women. She's bringing all of her best and finest j- dishes first to Jesus, pressing him to eat. She's so grateful and so happy to serve Jesus. Why? Because he just brought her brother Lazarus back from the dead. And of course, Martha is just just overwhelmed with gratitude. The other sister, Mary, again, finds herself at the feet of Jesus. She's done this before. So in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Mary sat at Jesus's feet and she learned. In John chapter 11, Mary fell at Jesus's feet and she surrendered. Do you remember when she said, Lord, if you had just come sooner, you know, I, I surrender myself to your, your majesty, to your great works of miracles. And now in John chapter 12, Mary is again sitting at Jesus's feet. And this time she is anointing and honoring. So what is she doing? She is actually anointing his feet with a very, very expensive oil. In fact, this, this oil was so expensive that it would have been about the equivalent of one year, one year's worth of a working man's salary unbelievably expensive. And she's not only anointing his feet because it would have been customary to wash your guests feet, very dusty in the Middle East, and they walked around in sandals. And so when you had company, they would remove their sandals and you would wash their feet. But Mary not only did that, but she's using a year's worth of expensive oil to anoint his feet. And also she's not just rubbing it with her hands and then wiping off the extra oil with a rag. What is she using? She's using her hair. And this is, this is just such an intimate moment. Her gift was remarkably unselfconscious because not only is she giving, giving him the gift of expensive oil, she's wiping his feet with her hair, which means She's letting her hair down in public. And that's something a Jewish woman would almost never do. That's not something that a Jewish lady would do with her hair in in public. And sometimes that's a, a mark of loose morals. But Mary didn't stop to calculate what public reaction of her would be. Her heart went out to her Lord. And she's giving an expression to something of her feelings with this beautiful, intimate, touching act. And then there's Judas. Haters going to hate, hate, hate. And guess what he says? He accuses Mary of using expensive oil that could have been, um, the money for the oil could have helped the poor. I mean, he makes it really awkward, right? They're having this beautiful dinner using their finest plates, their finest food. Mary is lavishing Jesus's feet with this beautiful oil. And then Judas has to make it weird. He breaks this embarrassing silence with some self-indignation. He he has self-interest. He's criticizing Mary. And he reveals himself to not be having to not have it, excuse me, I'm not saying this well, he is not having the very spirit of the Lord within himself. He says that he cares for the poor, but we in fact know that he's a thief. He had the money box 
because he was allowed that privilege and we know that he took from it. So really, is Judas really concerned about the poor or is Judas really concerned about himself? You know, those people in your life who will put others down to make themselves look better. I believe that's what Judas is doing here. And what does Jesus do? Well, he immediately defends Mary. He says, leave her alone. She has, she has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor, you will have with you always. But for me, you will not have me with you always. He's foreshadowing his own death, which he's done all along, and he's going to do it a whole lot more in the week to come here. It's, it's interesting to note that even though Judas was considered one of the 12 disciples, that he was a trusted, quote-unquote, friend of Jesus, there was always something about him that showed his true colors. I'm reading a very interesting book right now by John Bevere. And in one of the chapters, he alludes to people in your life who are close to you, who maybe even seem like they're walking the same journey with you, who maybe even um, have careers in theology, in ministry, and yet a lot of what they do is very self-fulfilling. They maybe aren't supporting you as much as you think that someone would be. In my own personal life, I found it very interesting, those who were super supportive of me going to seminary and those who weren't. And surprisingly, it was some of my friends in the theological world, in ministry, in pastoral leadership positions, who were less happy than other people were. And so... Not that we are to judge the heart of other people, but I think we need to also guard our own hearts. And in this case, Mary's heart was as pure as it could have been. It was Judas who was not pure. And don't think for one second that Jesus was fooled. He was not. He was not fooled by what what anyone said around him. And he knew that there was a plot to kill him. And not only him, unfortunately, but the Sadducees now also have it out for Lazarus because Jesus's cult following, if you will, is growing and growing and growing. And they're now blaming Lazarus because he's a living example of life after death. And the Sadducees in particular do not like this. So make sure you come back tomorrow as we visit the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on what would have been Palm Sunday, and for us, we'll call it Palm Wednesday. I will see you right back here tomorrow. Be well. Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to this podcast. I'd hate for you to miss out on even one minute of courage. Then share it with all your friends. If you'd like more information or would like to contact me directly, go to 5minutesofcourage.com. That's the number five, and you can connect with me there.